Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's movie podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, I sat down with one of my favorites in Hollywood, Sterling K. Brown. In our wide-ranging chat, the This Is Us star talked about his Oscar-buzzy performance in the new drama, Waves, what it was like seeing his Frozen 2 figurine for the first time, and his upcoming guest stint on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. We'll have that and a whole lot more coming up after the break. Stick around. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's Sterling K. Brown. How are you? I'm doing quite well, man. How about yourself? You're a busy man. Mm-hmm. You're a busy, busy, busy man. It's good to be busy. Better than being bored. But I'm just going to go right to the men's health video of you bopping up and down. Like, oh, you could do this. It's easy. Do it at home. Literally, I watched it right after the gym this morning. Did you really? Yeah, and I'm at the gym this morning with my trainer. I can't yes. believe I'm doing this. With my trainer, he's like, you bit lower back. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. Lower back. Nope, sure. can't do that. And then I go home and I'm watching you like, boom, boom. It is, uh, <laughs> it takes a minute to get there. But once you get there, it can feel routine. Michael Geiser, my publicist, does it all the time. He does the exercises incorrectly, though, and then he posts his time, and he shows it to me, and I'm like, how's he doing it so fast? And then he saw me do it, and he's like, I wasn't doing it. <laughs> so we are here um, at the Waves Press Day. Um, incredible movie. Thanks, man. I Just... Gorgeous performances all around. What a cast! Yeah, I mean, you can't. It's hard to just be like this person did great. I mean, it's just everyone brought their A game. It's a wonderful ensemble to be a part of, man. Like I, I knew sitting across from Kelvin and from Renee and from Taylor that they were going to be special. I did not get a chance to work with Alexa or Lucas, but God, they just. You're right. Everybody brings their A-game. I'm beyond proud to be a part of this ensemble and to have worked with Trey, who pulled the best out of everybody. He's that kind of guy that you want to run through a brick wall for. He put so much of himself into this story, and he created the space for us to bring our full selves to the story as well. He doesn't shoot a lot of takes. He Mm. doesn't do a lot of coverage. He doesn't get in your face after every take. If he has an idea, he may whisper it to you softly, and then you'll do it again. But usually, after three or four takes, we're moving on. Wow, that's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, Especially listen. with, I mean, like I said, you know, it's a true ensemble. There is a lot of moving parts in there. A lot of stuff. And listen, it, the original script is 180 pages, so it's not Whoa. like he could wait too long, because his director's cut was three and a half hours. Three to, and a half? To which A24 was like, all right, let's bring it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not Netflix and Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> three and a half. Wow. Yeah. Now, did you watch that three and a half? Kelvin's the only one. I think Kelvin went to Florida and saw his the director's cut and, and responded to it and enjoyed it, right? The first cut that I saw was roughly around what it is right now. It may have been... No, you know, I tell you what. There's one scene that was actually added after the one that I saw. 
he added the scene with Ronald and Tyler walking through the construction site talking mm. about building buildings and stuff. So that was the one biggest change between when I first saw it and when wow. he hit the, the festival circuit. So let's let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. Tell me, um, does Trey call you? How, how did you find out about the project? What, what was the process and then the first day on set? Okay, so that lady over there, Jennifer Wiley Stockton, my manager and my agent, David Rose, read the script. And they thought it was something worth examining. And I said, listen, I'm doing a show right now, a little thing called This Is Us. Like, when am I supposed to shoot this? And they're like, well, just see if you like it, and then maybe we can get creative with the scheduling, right? It's a never-say-no attitude. Like, anytime I think something's not possible, my dear manager and friend is like, listen, if, if you like it, then hmm. we'll talk about it. So you read it, and you don't have a hard copy. He has it on the computer because he's got the sound cues scored into it. So you can hit a button, listen to a song, as you read that section of the script. So it's sort of this immersive thing that he's established from the back. The music was consciously put in there from the beginning. H had you ever received a script Never. like that? Wow. No, first and only time that I've had anything remotely like that. Then he has this thing with the fonts where they'll change and like he'll hit something like the word love in big bold colors and it's sort of like a rainbow and then it goes back to like regular script. Like he wanted you to have an experience on the page that was as close to what he wanted to replicate on the screen. Wow. He talks about the aspect ratio changes in the script. Like as things sort of close in on our characters, they close in cinematically. As love starts to blossom, things start to open up mm -hmm. cinematically. So he's this dude who didn't go to school for what he's doing, and so he has no preconceived notions of what is and is not allowed, and I think you see that in his filmmaking. Oh, wow. The fact that you go from like one protagonist to another and two halves of the film, like who does it? Right. Trey does. So you read it, you're so immersed I read in it, it. And I say like, okay, I like it. It's, <laughs> it's a really good script. What did you like about it? Um, I like the learning of Ronald in particular. I like seeing how he felt as if he had to be a very stern disciplinarian, a very strict sort of person. He's a construction worker, um, so he builds things, and so you start with blueprints and permits, and you have an, an order to everything, and he brings that to the way in which he deals with his son mm. and tries to instill that same sort of structure into his son's life. And his son is a champion wrestler. And his son's a champion wrestler. He's a very good student. He has a very bright future. And slowly but surely, things fall apart for him. His shoulder uh, becomes aggravated, and the doctor suggests that he shouldn't be able to wrestle anymore, but he keeps wrestling anyway because he doesn't want to disappoint. Uh, to deal with the pain, he starts taking his father's medication that he uses for his bad knee without telling anybody. He and his girlfriend wind up getting pregnant. She wants to have the baby. He doesn't. He's trying to like get her to get an abortion, but she ultimately doesn't. And he does all of this without consulting anybody in his family hmm. because he doesn't think he has the space to be a failure. He doesn't think he has the space to be a disappointment because he thinks that his dad may stop loving him. Right. Hmm. And what I love about the script is that there is a learning that takes place after the tragedy that transpires midway through the film. We see this family sort of just grasping for how to get back on track. How do they keep going with their lives? And it now shifts to the perspective of the daughter. But the, pre the, the presence of the parents is still there. You see Renee's character and myself 
really struggling to connect to one another. Mm. Um, she had a really wonderful insight. Like when she joined me in this journey, I was a package deal. I came with this son and daughter because she's not their birth mother, mm -hmm. right? So I'm a package deal. And now that the package has changed with this young man going to prison for the rest of his life, does she still want to be a part of this package, right? Um, there's other things that we talk about. Like Trey doesn't ever like hit you over the head with stuff, but there's a moment when you find out that she isn't able to have children where Tyler's going off on her when he wants to like take the keys to the truck mm -hmm. and go see his girlfriend. So you're not even a real woman. You can't even have children. And so you realize how important these children are to, to her. her. Right. Even though they're not hers, they're hers. They just it added a whole you other know, Do you know what I'm saying? Layer, yeah. So you see this family trying to figure out their way back. And then there's this wonderful conversation between him and his daughter. Hmm. And after I read the scene, I was like, okay, this may... This may be something worth fighting for. Right. Like, I know I got this day job, but maybe we can figure out a way to squeeze it in. Because he learns that being this stern disciplinarian isn't the only way of being in the world. And that there is this beautiful strength and vulnerability. And it's born out of necessity more than anything else. Because right. he literally has nobody else to talk to. But you see the most authentic conversation between him and one of his children in the course of the whole film. Because... He desperately needs to share what's going on in his life and then thus opens the door for her to share what's going on in her. Mm. So this is a heavy movie. Yeah. We go to the movies to escape. Yeah. Is this a movie to escape? No. So there's a, there's a couple of ways in which art functions for me. There is escapism. There is holding a mirror up to society and showing it for what it is. There is holding a mirror up to society and showing it what it can be, right? I think this is a cautionary tale um, from the perspective of a parent of what happens when you don't create an environment for your children to share their life with you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, and it's never too early to start. And I was like, you know what? If you have to say, if there's anything you want to tell daddy, like, let me know. Like, mm. I'm going to love you regardless of what's going on in your life. And mm. maybe I can be of help. And maybe you can help me, right? So that when they get to be 16 and they think they got to, like, take drugs or, like, take their girlfriends for abortions or anything like that, at least we can have a conversation about it. Right. Right? So for me, it's cautionary in that way. There's some, listen, summer movies, that, that's a time to escape. Mm -hmm. I love I love escapism. I love I'm in Predator. I'm in Hotel <laughs> Artemis. I love stuff that is about having a good time at the theater. But I also love stuff that sort of like holds the mirror up to us and says like, this is who we are, and maybe we can be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where'd you get so enlightened about parenthood? No, I mean I I got a four year old and an eight year old, <laughs> so you kind of learn this trial by fire. <laughs> But I also did, listen, there's a book that I read, and I saw this woman on Oprah Winfrey first, right? <laughs> Her name is Dr. Shafali Sabari. Okay. She wrote a book called The Conscious Parent, and she talks about how parents think that it's all about what they have to give to their children and how they have to educate their children to navigate life. She says the best parent-child relationships exist when you realize that you have just as much to learn from your children as they do from you. And then you stop sort of like forcing your own perspective of what the world is like on them and you open yourself up to what their actual experiences are. Like mm. I've learned so much from this eight-year-old boy of mine <laughs> and even from this four-year-old because 
they know more than we give them credit for. Right. Like they're really, really bright if you're mm-hmm. open to hearing their wisdom. I don't know, man. I just, I like being a parent. It's, it's like the best gig I've ever had. It all comes back to Oprah, doesn't it? It all, always. <laughs> in most things. All, lead, the all queen, roads all lead, roads lead to, to the queen. Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Right now, we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, Sterling talks about seeing himself for the first time as the animated Lieutenant Matthias in Frozen 2, why diversity in animated Disney films is so impactful, and wait till you hear what he says when I ask him about the one movie he can watch over and over again. It's safe to say 2020 was one of the most difficult years ever for so many. And these remain very challenging times. That's why I'm here to ask you, How can I help? My name is Dr. Gail Saltz, host of the new weekly podcast, How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, a psychoanalyst, best-selling author, and I'm here to help. Join me every Friday where you can ask your most pressing questions and get helpful guidance on topics ranging from coping with anxiety and mood relationships, to family and parenting issues, to workplace dynamics, to dealing with COVID fatigue, and everything in between. While it has been a tough time, you don't have to navigate it alone. So, how can I help? You can send your questions anonymously to me at help at SenecaWomen.com, and I will answer with specific advice and understanding. Listen to How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Sterling K. Brown. Okay, so this morning I went on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Frozen 2's trailer. Do you know how many views it has right now? How many? Eight, at least as of this morning. Yeah. 83,204,000. I don't even know how to say this number. 204,648? That's yeah. it. That's an yeah. excellent, yes. That's, excellent. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a sizable number. If everybody comes to see the movie, we'll be all right. <laughs> How much fun is it seeing yourself as Lieutenant Destin Matias? It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome, dude. You go to the movies your whole life. You're talking about escapism. Like, the house the mouse built is the king of escapism, but also, like, wonderful storytelling. I took my oldest to see the first Frozen, and, like, he loved it, but he's very, he's got very boy energy. And so he loved listening to the first song of the movie, which is like the, the guys like breaking up the ice <laughs> right. over and over again. And like he would just let me play that over and over again. I was like, you want to hear it? You want to build a snowman? He's like, no, I want to hear that first song. I was like, okay. <laughs> so now he's a little bit older and he remembers the movie very well. And so many of the things that I do, I can't take them to. And it's not like they're just super risque or whatever. It's just they're, they're babies. And they're, yeah. once they get older, they'll be able to check them out. Nice to be able to share something with the family. But on the personal level, before I had kids, I was going to go see Disney movies by myself all the time. Like, really? I would go check out Pixar, Disney animated all the time. And so now I have a legitimate excuse for being in the theater because I'm actually in the movie and I get a chance to bring my kids <laughs> Like to the see smile it. on your face right now oh, is dude. just... It's, every time you go into the booth and you're working with Chris and Jen, they'll be like, hey, you want to see a little bit of what we've animated so far? And I'm like, yeah, let me see <laughs> 
And so I remember seeing like the first trailer before anybody else, and I seeing I also like run on the waves and like hitting it with the ice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's this like horse water monster yeah. thing of a chicken that's coming out of her? And then they started to animate me, right? And seeing Destin Matias <laughs> and seeing like him be a person of color. And I say that because like there's been black actors that have vocalized many characters before and they're not necessarily black on screen. Right. But to see him in this world of Arendelle, being a part of it, recognizing that like, yo, this world should be as diverse as the world in which we live. Man. And so I applaud uh, Jen and Chris and everyone who made the decisions to bring this character to the fore. Um, because it's nice, like, it's nice for folks to see themselves, right? Uh, and, but then they do these little things, like, the animators say, like, you know, when you smile, you use, like, all these muscles. Like, most people smile, and it's just like that. But, like, you smile, and it's like, oh. <laughs> so then they try to add that to your character so that when your voice comes right. out of them, it sounds, it makes sense. Right. It fits. And it's like, oh, my face does that. <laughs> <laughs> It's really cool. So when you were going to those movies by yourself, yeah, you didn't see yourself that often, did you? No, not that often. Yeah, not that often. Like I can remember things like just like hearing Eddie Murphy and Mulan, mm -hmm. right? Shrek also. Like I can, you can hear voices. Like I'm always listening for like who's in this movie. Right. I recognize that voice. Oh, that's cool. They got this chance to do this or whatnot. But like to actually see it, and then for young people too, because I'm I'm older, and so I'm a little bit more can be more jaded and be like, all right, well, maybe that thing wasn't going to happen. But I appreciate that now my son, like, doesn't have to imagine what it would be like to have a black character in this world, right? right? Like, after Black Panther, there being this sort of world where a black superhero exists in a major way, and you don't have to imagine what it would be like if, Bat if Batman were black or if Superman were black. Right. Right? Like, we got, we got somebody. And so now Destin Matias is in there, and then... There's uh, what's the one that my wife and I love, the Princess and the Frog, you know, like it it means something to people because we consume African American mm -hmm. consume at a great deal. The okay, media let's let's talk about Little Mermaid. Think, hello, Little Mermaid. Yo, let me give it up to for uh, Tiffany uh, Little Canfield because I love her, Bernie Kelsey. It's Bernie Kelsey. It's so awesome. First of all. There's no point in doing a remake unless you're going to do something different with it. Right. Like, you don't want a shot-for-shot thing. Because, like, we've seen it once. Like, you gotta, you got to do something new in order to, like, make it worthwhile. Why can't, why not mm -hmm. a black mermaid? Like, he's like, and then when people get in arms and be like, oh, they can't be a black mermaid. And you're like, really? Because like, mermaids are so real. That's and so, what's so ridiculous. Or, or they're like, well... What was it? Someone was saying like she's gonna have dreadlocks. They're like mermaids don't have dreadlocks. What do you mean mermaids don't? Mermaids yeah. don't tell exist. Me, tell me the rules of mermaids, mermaids. please. <laughs> right. So educate me. But it's all. It's also, you know, in the world of you know superhero comic books, someone will say something and they'll be like, "Well, they died and blah blah." blah. I'm like, these people. They're not even people. They're superheroes. Like they could do anything. Sure. It's. People are attached, right? And right. they think that, like, because they see it on the page or in the comic books in one way, that's the way that it's supposed to appear on screen. There's room. Right. There's room to expand, right? And I appreciate what, what Marvel, what Disney is doing right now in terms of expanding their universes and making sure that everyone sees themselves in their world. Right. And then look at Mrs. Maisel. 
Oh, you yeah. don't see a lot of faces of color in Mrs. Maisel. Oh, but you will next season. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> your laugh is amazing. Tell, so just tease us. What could you tell us? You know, we know a little bit. So you know a little bit. So I'm, I'm not going to say more than what you already know, because the last preview, you see that Midge is going to go on tour with Shy Baldwin. And Shy Baldwin is like this uh, musical sort of crooner of the time. And I'm a part of his entourage. I am African-American on the show. And those are the two details I can give you without getting into trouble. <laughs> you're you're African-American on the show. And I'm part of you Shy know, Baldwin's You know, you just spoiled it. I, I, you know, people forget sometimes. I got to remind them. Your boy's black. <laughs> That's amazing. I appreciate it. Um, have you seen your Frozen 2 cat? Are you going to get a figurine? I have a figurine. You do? I do have a figurine. Like, I got a chance to post it on the Instagram, and it was, it was a cool moment because <laughs> I remember, let's say I took Andrew to Target one day, and there's a figurine of a friend of mine. Charlie Day was in an animated, he was in Monsters, Inc., okay. Monsters University. Yep. And I texted Charlie, and I was like, I'm holding your character right now. <laughs> And he's like, oh, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. And I was like, maybe one day, maybe one day, Sterling, you'll have your own figurine. And now that day has come. We well, yeah, I was even playing Monopoly. They have a, a Frozen 2 Monopoly game coming Frozen out. Two yes. And, and Matthias is one of the figurines that you can play the game with. And I'm just like, this is cool, man. That's wild. Yeah. It's a trip. That, a I trip. was just going to say, it has to be surreal. Totally. Totally. It's something that you never anticipate. And then it comes to be, and you're like, this is as surreal as I thought it would be when I never thought that it would be. Did you, when you were dreaming <clears throat> yeah. of your life here, how do I say it? Did, are your wildest dreams coming true and more? I, I surpassed my wildest <laughs> dreams by virtue of being able to pay the bills as an actor. Okay. Because you have to know, I was an econ major I went to Stanford University. I was really good at Spanish at the time. I'd done AP Spanish 5, AP Bio, <laughs> BC Calculus. I thought I was going to do something with international business. Like, my whole goal in life was to make a comfortable living so that I could make a worthwhile contribution to my family, right? Acting was something that I did in high school that I loved, but I didn't think would ever turn into anything that bore any fruit in terms of having a decent life. <laughs> But I got to school and I acted for two years because I had one professor come to my dorm and ask me to audition for an August Wilson play. And then that turned into something and people kept giving me feedback like, yo, man, really good in that play. You should mm. keep at it. Like, you should really consider this as a possibility. And I was like, I know when I act, life gets better. My grades get better because there's something that ignites my soul on fire that makes me want to do better in every other facet of my life. And it took a couple of years for the dawning of being like, yo, man, this isn't a hobby. Mm. Like, this is the thing. Like, why are you trying to keep it at arm's length? Right. You know what I'm saying? So the goal was after grad school at NYU, just let me do this. Like, I don't want to wait tables. I don't want to have to temp. I don't want to have to bartend. And I know the struggle is real. Right. And people got to do what they got to do in order to make dreams come true. But I was like, dear universe, God, like we spent all this cash on this daggum degree. <laughs> if we can just do this, I'll be happy. 
And I've been doing this for almost 19 years now. And like these last four years are like this incredible like cheesecake icing on the best red velvet that I've had in my life. Mm. But the cheesecake icing tastes really good. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever give yourself a cutoff going, you know what, if it doesn't work at this point, I'm going back to no. international business? No. It was one of those things where like, I was willing to do whatever was necessary in order to live my life as an actor. And thankfully, I did it when I was young. And you're willing to make more concessions. Like, just finding like the right uh, lunch special that you can spread out for lunch and dinner. Drink a lot of water because that keeps you full throughout the day. Make sure your Metro card is like full and like get the month long instead of the mm -hmm. weekly because you're going to need it. Like I'm going to use that $63 and make sure that my, like I'm like, did I go somewhere today? Go use your Metro card because you paid for it already. You know, like for me, it was, the vision was clear. Like this is what I want to do. So there was no... The what is it? The Alchemist, the Paulo Coelho book is like once you start planning for Plan B, then that sort of overtakes, mm. you know, your first plan. So I never, I get asked that question like, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? I have no answer, mm. I have no answer. I'd be a father, I'd be you know a husband or whatever. But like this is the thing. There's different people have different callings. When I was a kid, my best friend's parents had their own church so he's a pk and i would go to their church from time to time and i would summarize the bible story and be like oh you're really good you and that boy gonna be a preacher and i'm like no i ain't i ain't gonna be no preacher but I, I do think everybody has a calling and that you have your own ministry regardless of what it is that you're doing and i get a chance to share myself in a way that feels most authentic to me through living through other people mm. Yeah. And now you have your production company. Yeah, man. You did. You've you've done directing, obviously, on television. Yeah. I'm directed yet. I thought. I weren't you supposed to? I I plan to direct okay. at some point in time, but I haven't done it yet. Probably, maybe next season. Feature film directing. Do you want to go that far? No, no. I would start with this, with this <laughs> TV show called This Is Us and see how it goes. And if I love it, then possibly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I love it or not. Um, I do love producing. Mm -hmm. I do love the opportunity to provide opportunity for other storytellers, mm. for diverse storytellers. Like you can't complain about what you see on the screen if you, if and when you're given an opportunity to have some sort of say in the stories that are being told, you kind of got to take advantage of that opportunity. And so it's really cool. Like I got a few things in the works and hopefully by next year I'll have a few things on screen and there'll be like an Indian Meadows production next to it. And I'll be like, oh shit, I got something. <laughs> <laughs> what does it feel like to hear Oscar buzz for your role in Waves? Kind of surreal a little bit. Um, but also just interesting. Like I went to school with Mahershala Ali. He's a year above me from NYU and one of the most lovely human beings that I know. Um, and I can remember when we were both out of school we spent two weeks together in my apartment in uh, Harlem. And we were just talking about life. Like he, I was Christian, uh, he's Muslim. We would have like these really wonderful philosophical religious mm. debates and whatnot, but with love under, undergirding the whole time. And so it becomes a more real possibility as I, as I get older and see what's happened for him. If it happens, great. Like listen, I'm a huge fan 
of film, of television. I've been watching Pitt all my life. Pitt's a fucking beast. I love him. <laughs> like, I really do love his work, right? Okay. Hanks, come on, man. <laughs> like, really? Come on, man. If, you, if the Academy sees fit to put me in a category with mm. people who, like, I absolutely adore, I will pee all over mm. myself, dude. <laughs> Like, I will lose control of all bowels, and it may get even worse than that. Like, that would be such a joy. And if I don't, then I know that I did my job in this story, and I'm really, really proud of the film. And I'm really, really happy for Trey. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And not to admit, but then in particular also for Kelvin and Taylor, like, I think that this one hopefully could change the rest of their career. Oh, it's already changed the yeah. rest of their careers. I think. Yeah. So, last question. Yeah. What's the one film you could watch over and over again and you never get bored? Out of sight. Why is that? This is weird. Like, I, Brian and I, my wife, we went to go see Out of Sight in college, and I came out crying. And she's like, "That movie wasn't sad." I was like, "I know." But I said everything that he wanted to accomplish as a filmmaker. He did. Like, I think it's more like a perfect movie. And it's so good that I went and I read the Elmore Leonard novel afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I said, this movie improved upon the book. And I was like, not often is that the right. case. It has one of the sexiest sex scenes in the history of cinema. And you don't see a stitch of skin. Like, you see Clooney with his shirt on. Right. And you see J-Lo in her bra and panties. But the seduction between the top of that rooftop bar and him flirting with her, and then cutting back and forth to the hotel room where they're just slowly undressing, it's its like perfect. It's perfect. You're perfect. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. That was awesome. Right on, man. My pleasure. Yeah. That was Sterling K. Brown. That's it for this episode of The Big Ticket, but come back next week because I have more Frozen. I sat down with Sterling's co-stars, Kristen Bell, Adina Menzel, Josh Gad, and Jonathan Groff. See you next time. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.